0: I started prioritizing organic food when I could back in 2004, and that was when I was still in university. Now, admittedly, I didn't do much research at the time. I had read Silent Spring, watched a couple of documentaries, was learning about pesticides in our soil and water supplies through my undergrad, and all of these things made me convinced that it was the right thing to do. When I became a mom and had two kids to feed, I decided I should take a look more at the facts and both sides to see if organic produce was worth the cost premium. I actually wrote my first blog post on organic food back in 2015. This was the research project that launched Green at Home as a public-facing venture beyond just my own personal research project. And since that post, I've written others on the EWG's Dirty Dozen, pesticide washes, and glyphosate. And let me tell you, this topic doesn't get any easier. The problem with trying to find balanced information about organic food is that there are lobby groups essentially on both sides intent on pushing their agendas, making it very difficult to decipher fact from hyperbole. So I'm going to do my best to walk through what I see as the key considerations when weighing the decision about whether or not to invest in organic food. And this is going to focus primarily on produce. All right, deep breaths, everyone. Here we go. Welcome to the Missing Pillar of Health podcast, the show that tackles the often misunderstood and underestimated topics related to toxins and their impact on our health and well-being. I'm your host, environmental engineer, mom of two, and founder of Green at Home, Emma Roman. My mission is to help you reduce toxins in your life without fear, judgment, or shame, so you can be more informed and empowered to take action on issues that matter to your health. The research is clear that toxic chemicals found in the products we use, food we eat, water we drink, and air we breathe are contributing to the rise of chronic illness, allergies, infertility, autoimmune disease, and more. The good news is you can reduce your exposure without having to drastically change your lifestyle, and I'm here to show you how. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. I believe addressing toxins is a critical step towards creating healthier and happier families, communities, and ultimately a better planet. And that starts right here, right now. Let's dive into today's show. Okay, I would like to start right off the bat by addressing the first thing that so many organic naysayers like to shove back in the faces of people supporting the movement. Please do not perpetuate the belief that organic produce is pesticide-free, because it's not. And saying you want to eat organic to avoid all pesticides just adds fuel to the fire of those wanting to shut down any conversation about organic having its merits. Language matters, and this is an important distinction. So, what does organic mean? Canadian and U.S. organic standards are quite similar. They require no synthetic chemicals, including pesticides, fertilizers, hormones, and antibiotics. Again, synthetic. They prohibit genetically modified organisms, irradiation, sewage sludge, and synthetic processing aids and ingredients like sulfites, nitrates, and nitrites. The organic standard in Canada also includes practices that are intended to restore and sustain ecological stability of the farm and the surrounding environment. Yes, organic produce can still contain pesticide residues. Some of it's from organic-approved pesticides, others are from what's known as drift, when synthetic pesticides are carried from across neighbouring fields. But the idea is that the organic pesticides are generally safer than the synthetic ones used conventionally. Here again is where I think words matter. Not all natural substances are safe, and not all synthetic substances are toxic. A lot of people who poo-poo organic food say that natural pesticides aren't as well-studied as the conventional ones, so we can't say they're safe. That might be true. However, on the flip side, I think one of the reasons they aren't well-studied is that we haven't seen outcomes to suggest that studying these pesticides is warranted. The same cannot be said for the synthetic pesticides that have been found time and time again to be terrible for us and the environment. Take DDT, for example. As for conventional pesticides, there is mounting evidence that the pesticides from food can build up in our bodies, and the impact is farther reaching than we can fully study or quantify. But I'm getting my ahead of myself a little bit, so let's back up. Now, synthetic pesticide production and use began after World War II with organochlorine insecticides like DDT, aldrin, and dieldrin. The impact of organochlorine insecticides on the environment became clear, thanks to the work of people like Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring. When looking for alternatives, organophosphate pesticides were found to quickly degrade in the environment, and as a result, they were thought to be safer. However, the health effects are becoming more scrutinized, with increasing research over the past couple of decades. The biggest challenges with studying health effects of pesticides is the ethical implications of dosing real people, and it's very difficult to isolate causal relationships between a particular chemical when factoring in a multitude of other lifestyle and physiological factors over a long period of time. So I'll say right off the top, if you're looking for 100% certainty when it comes to the safety of synthetic pesticides on food or the health benefits of organic I cannot give that to you. I can share some of the research and what the evidence is pointing to. One study that looked at 18 children with organic diets and 21 kids with conventional diets and analyzed their urine for five specific organophosphate pesticide metabolites. And the metabolites are the molecules that are left over when the body metabolizes a substance, in this case, pesticides. So that's often what is looked for as a marker of pesticide exposure in the body. In this study, The researcher said the dose estimates suggest that consumption of organic fruits, vegetables, and juice can reduce children's exposure levels from above to below the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's current guidelines, thereby shifting exposures from a range of uncertain risk to a range of negligible risk. Another study looked at long-term dietary exposure to pyrethroid and organophosphate pesticides amongst 20 pregnant women in their first trimester. And this was in the US. It found a decreased exposure, particularly of pyrethroid pesticides, in the participants who ate 66% of their produce as organic compared to those who ate mostly conventional produce. Now, are these studies flawless? Absolutely not. They're very small, for one thing. They're full of assumptions, statistical analysis, and limitations. Any study is, but they are starting to paint a picture. However, just because these pesticides or their metabolites are found in the body, it doesn't necessarily mean that they cause harm. And this is where the research is even harder to pinpoint a direct link between residual pesticides on food with health risks. I think the evidence that is building is pretty clear that the more organic you eat, the less you are exposed to pesticides. I just gave a couple examples of studies, but there are more all pointing to the same outcome. But do they cause harm? Now, before you call me out for cherry picking, I will fully acknowledge that there are studies that do not show risk or harm from pesticides on food. When the science is divided, this is where I tend to apply the precautionary principle. So instead of something being innocent until proven guilty, I prefer the approach that we should be cautious where there is doubt something is safe. Note the word cautious. I don't think we should be panicking here. But I also think that where there is evidence suggesting harm, we need to be paying attention to it. I think one of the more important things to consider when evaluating the impact of organic versus conventional food is that it's not just about obvious impacts like acute poisoning and cancer. There are some impacts being suggested by the research that are more subtle, but no less concerning. Many birth cohort studies have found in utero exposure to organophosphate and pyrethroid insecticides to be associated with poorer neurological and cognitive development in children. More is being looked at in terms of pesticides impact on the bacteria in our gut, which are responsible for immune function, metabolism, and so much more. We are learning more and more about the impact our microbiome has on our health all the time. And so I think this is going to be a particularly interesting area of study. The US EPA proposed to essentially ban clopyrifos on food crops after it identified numerous scenarios that could result in unsafe exposures, particularly for agricultural workers and bystanders. However... In March 2017, the Trump administration announced that, quote, the science addressing neurodevelopmental effects remains unresolved, and that further evaluation of the science is warranted to achieve greater certainty as to whether the potential exists for adverse neurodevelopmental effects to occur from current human exposures, concluding that the EPA would not cancel any uses of clopyrifos. And this is one example that has environmental groups crying foul at industry input over regulations. Just because there's no proof they don't cause harm, the EPA's research itself said that there is a concern. And if the EPA is saying that there's enough to be worried about and the government overturns that, this is where we have a problem. And just like with our trash, there is no away when it comes to applying pesticides on millions of acres of farm fields. Pesticide use on our food also means pesticides in our water. In 2016, the EPA found that food or drinking water exposure to clopyrifos, which is the most commonly used organophosphate insecticide in the U.S., Either food or drinking water exposure could result in some reproductive-aged women, infants, and children consuming levels of the pesticide substantially above the acceptable level. And then there's the consideration of pesticide exposure in the people working in manufacturing facilities, which isn't addressed in the literature I've seen, and applying the products on fields. In fact, the EPA's own publication on recognition and management of pesticide poisonings features a chapter on chronic effects. It's focused on occupational and household exposures and includes recognition that there is significant evidence from epidemiology that non-persistent pesticides may alter semen quality, that there is an association between all brain tumors in children and paternal exposure to pesticides immediately before conception, and there's a rapidly increasing body of research that associates pesticide exposure with behavioral disorders, including ADHD and autism spectrum disorder. Epidemiological studies on workers suggest that exposure to pesticides is a risk factor for cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular, and neurodegenerative diseases. It's important to mention as well that U.S. farm workers are mostly Hispanic and Black individuals who are at increased risks of health issues already, and this is a topic I discussed in episode 16 on environmental racism and the social determinants of health with Dr. Ingrid Waldron. If you haven't listened to that already, I highly recommend that you cue it up. That was a lot of information, and I bet you thought I was just going to be talking about the EWG Dirty Dozen which I will, so hang on, that's coming up. But first, what does all of this mean when it comes to pesticides on our food? I think it's safe to say that the jury is still out. And I know you like certainty. I know you want a yes or a no answer, but that's just not how this works. And this is one reason I put out content the way I do, because if you read government and industry websites, you get one story. And when you read environmental advocacy sites, you get a completely different story. The truth is the toxins conversation is often sitting somewhere in the middle. Here's an example. Health Canada's website states, To date, there is no scientific evidence to show that there is a health risk from eating conventionally grown produce because of pesticide residues, or that organic foods are safer to eat than conventionally produced foods. First, I think what they should be saying is there's no scientific proof. I think there is evidence that pesticides may be contributing to health effects, but the evidence may be weak right now. As I mentioned, though, requiring scientific proof to make a decision is a bit of a fool's errand because there is no such thing as proof. It's all about evidence. Second, this is only addressing the residual pesticides on food, not the effects on those who are applying the pesticides and living next to fields where these pesticides are being used. So here are my takeaways from the research I've done so far. Number one, I think buying 100% organic is impossible or impractical for the vast majority of us. In reality, a combination of conventional and organic produce Is the most realistic option for many if you want to include organic in your diet. And since pesticide residues on produce are very low, eating conventional produce isn't the end of the world when it comes to your individual health for most people. Now, again, everybody's health and bodies are different. So some people may not be able to process the residual pesticides as well as others. And this is where I think focusing on an overall body burden and overall health and effectiveness of our detoxification systems is important because there is no one size fits all solution. And somebody who is quite sick might benefit drastically more by going closer to 100% organic than somebody who is overall healthy. So I say this with a bit of a grain of salt. Number two, eating organic where you can has been shown to help reduce your body burden of pesticides, which may support healthier gut hormone, immune, and neurological function, the impact will likely be greater in children. If you're still using conventional pesticides at home or your drinking water source is likely contaminated, I would focus on eliminating those exposures as they are going to be significantly higher than what's happening through your food. I talk about testing your water and options for filtering it specifically in episode 16. Point number three, residual pesticides aren't the only contaminant in our food, but by buying organic, they are one toxic exposure that we can control. And as I mentioned, there are some other criteria for organic food. If you're buying packaged or processed food, it's not perfect, but they are also going to be free of some other ingredients of concern. So I think the key is to prioritize fresh, whole foods in general over packaged and processed foods wherever possible as those come with their own exposures. And yes, this is not accessible for everybody. I understand that. I am here to share information so that you can make decisions within the bounds of your lifestyle and what is accessible to you. And that brings me to point number four. If you have access and ability, buying organic is a vote with your dollar that you support agriculture that doesn't knowingly cause harm to the workers, neighboring communities, soil, and water. For those of us with the capacity to do so, I firmly believe that we have to start looking at issues with a much wider lens. And again, I hope you'll listen to episode 14 on environmental racism and social determinants of health to explore this issue further. Okay, because I like to leave you with practical and tangible actions, let me quickly address how you can prioritize organic produce most effectively and touch on some strategies to reduce pesticides through washing. Most people have heard of the EWG's Dirty Dozen list, but if you haven't, the Environmental Working Group is a U.S. charity or not-for-profit, and they come out with a list of the produce most contaminated with pesticides each year. They also rank the least contaminated in what they call the Clean 15. To come up with the list, the EWG uses data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture and FDA testing. The USDA selects which specific types of produce will be tested each year, so there is not annual data for everything. The EWG takes the most recent one to two years of sampling data per type of produce. So in some cases, this data could be up to 10 years old. Just because the EWG releases new lists every year doesn't mean that it is data that has changed year over year. For example, in 2019, kale was moved up in the Dirty Dozen ranking, and the EWG used it as their big headline and hook to get people talking about the list. However, kale hadn't been tested by the FDA for several years, so the reality is that although it was further down the list in previous years, the pesticide content likely was fairly similar in 2017 and 2018, even though it didn't shoot up the list like it did in 2019. The government studies also don't account for all pesticides. To compare foods, the EWG looks at various measures of pesticide contamination. The produce is then ranked against each criteria and given a score. And these scores are used to come up with the best and worst when it comes to pesticide residues. So is the dirty dozen conclusive or a perfect system? Absolutely not. You'll find no shortage of articles debunking it and calling it totally useless, but I think it can still be used as a simple way to help avoid decision fatigue and prioritize where you're spending your money. Just know what the data coming out is, which is what I just walked through. And I'll link to the blog post I wrote about the Dirty Dozen in the show notes if you're interested in digging into it in more details. In that blog post, I also talk about effective strategies to reduce pesticide residues at home. So in quick summary, there are lots of different strategies floating around as to how to soak and scrub and rinse your produce, no one method will reduce 100% of pesticide residues. Rinsing with regular water has been shown to be effective on certain pesticides, but not all. Mostly, it's showing that it's the mechanical process of rubbing the fruits under water for up to two minutes, some studies say. Other methods that have been shown to be effective on some fruits and veggies with specific pesticides are soaking in a solution of baking soda and water for 15 minutes and soaking in a 10% vinegar solution for 20 minutes. Again, nothing works 100% on all combinations of produce and pesticides, but these may be effective against some. And these studies have several limitations. If you don't mind the extra time or effort, The strategies don't necessarily hurt. However, soaking and washing doesn't remove pesticides that soak into the fruit itself. When it comes to fruit and veggie washes, these products typically use surfactants to help loosen dirt, wax, and germs from the produce. But they haven't been standardized or really fully tested, so it's hard to know how good of a job they do on pesticides. The FDA doesn't recommend them because they can leave residue on the food. The bottom line is you're probably exposed to much higher levels of toxins in other areas of your home than the residue on conventional produce. However, pesticides can act in the body in unique ways, especially for children, and with what I'm sure will be increasing research on the gut. I think the decision to go organic needs to also include consideration for those working directly in the fields and living nearby as well. If you are in a position to be able to vote with your dollar in support of organic farming, this is an excellent reason to do so. If you're not, prioritize whole foods as much as possible. Look at the dirty dozen to see where you can buy organic food on a budget and look at other ways to lower your overall toxic load to support your body's ability to handle exposures that you can't control, including pesticide residues. I hoped this helped shed some light on the organic produce conversation for you. Dairy and meat are a whole other topic, so maybe I'll do a separate episode on that in the future. In the meantime, if lowering your toxic load is a priority for you and you want to skip over all the research, analysis, paralysis, and trial and error, I wanted to let you know that my signature course, The Healthy Home Method, is going on sale next week. It's my step-by-step science-based practical program that helps you reduce toxics in your home that are linked with hormone disruption, allergies, chronic disease, asthma, obesity, infertility, cancer, and more. To be the first to have access to special pricing and waitlist-only bonuses, visit greenathome.ca forward slash waitlist and sign up for advance notice. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day, and I will chat with you again next week. Wait, before you go, I have a quick favor to ask. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and like what you've heard, please take a moment to hit subscribe and leave a five-star rating and a written review. You can do it right from the app. It takes just a sec and really helps me to be able to continue to share this important information with more people. Plus, you might just get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks so much and bye for now.